says this, whose voice shook the earth at that time, but now he has promised. I don't know. I, a lot of people love to sing about all the promises of God. Here's one of those promises. We ought to put it in our song. What has he promised? Yet one more time, once for all. In the Greek, that's really what it means. One more time and once in a conclusive, final way. I'm going to shake not only the earth, but I'm going to shake the heavens. I'm going to shake them. First point, and again, emphasize this, and, I, and it's just amazing. I was looking at some uh, YouTube things, debates out on YouTube about there's these guys debating whether Jesus is God. Well, right here, it tells me that the one who spoke on earth and shook the mountain of Sinai is the same one who is speaking today and will again speak and shake. Same one. Same God. Same person. I'm going to read from Exodus 19.18. I think that that's the picture, at least there, that the author has as he's writing this, this whole chapter. Paul did a great job, I think, on the contrast between Sinai and Zion. Exodus 19.18. And Mount Sinai was all wrapped in smoke because Yahweh went down on it in the fire. And its smoke went up like the smoke of a smelting furnace. And the whole mountain trembled greatly. The whole mountain. I know that's pretty hard to do. And I, I didn't I didn't think I was going to spend a little time on it. I'll just mention this. The word shake here is the word where we get seismology from. Does that mean something to you? Seismographs. It's an earthquake. That's what it comes. That's what we get the word earthquake from, the same, this Greek word. I want to read from Judges 5, chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. Yahweh, when you went down from Seir, Mount Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled. The heavens poured down, the clouds poured down water, the mountains trembled before Yahweh, this Sinai, at the presence of Yahweh, the God of Israel. And so in this verse, he's promised to shake it once again, and not only the earth but also the heavens, one more time, once for all, one conclusive, final shaking. So the question is, are we ready for that shaking? And I'm going to get to it that I think that there's a whole lot of interim shakings before that conclusive, final shaking. Haggai, he quotes this. He's quoting this passage, yet one more time, once for all, I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. He's quoting that from Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. It's amazing to me, as I've been, we've been going through Hebrews, I have just been fascinated how much this author quotes from the Old Testament. His whole thesis, his whole development of this letter is based upon New Testament. And this is no exception. This is what Haggai 6, 2, 6 says. For thus saith Yahweh of hosts, once again in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and dry land. And, you know, if I was going through so many verses on the shaking, I knew we just didn't have time. We, 
we've been given a half hour. Most of us exceeded most of the time, but we've been given a half hour. And so I've got a half hour, so there's no way I could get into all the shaking verses, and I really wanted to. There's a whole lot of shaking going on. Okay, here is Isaiah 13, 13. Therefore I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken out of its place at the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. In the New Testament, Luke 21, you can read the, uh, those last things uh, when he went up to the Mount of Olives, right? The Sermon on that Mount. A lot of those, I, this is Luke 21, 25, and 26. And there will be signs in, in sun and moon and stars. And the earth, and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and of the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the earth, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So I believe that one of the purposes for those shakings, why God, when he came down on Sinai, and why there will be a shaking again, one of them, this is just, he does a lot of things, right? God does this. God uh, this old saying, I thought, maybe not too appropriate for right now, but I'm going to say it. He, he kills two birds with one stone. Okay? He just can hit things with one thing. I believe that the purposes served by this shaking, both the first time and in particularly the second time, is an announcement. It's an announcement to the principalities and powers the rulers, authorities of the darkness of this age, and it's announcement to the nations that God has come down and he is establishing his kingdom on the earth. That's what he's doing. On Sinai, that was the inauguration of the theocratic kingdom on the earth. God was there. He had called his people out of Egypt. He had assembled them together. He had given them his law the priesthood, all that they needed. And he says, now we're ready to march into that place that I promised to your forefathers and we're going to take it and we're going to establish a kingdom there. My kingdom. And I think there was a lot of trembling, not just physical, I think it was spiritual. The nations heard about that. That's why everybody was afraid. They said, my God came down at Sinai. The true and living God. This, this book, this letter starts off, who is Jesus Christ? He's the heir of all things. The heir is coming to claim his property. And he's going to do it. And I think I can strongly say that because as we end up in verse 28, what we're talking about, what the focus is of the shaking is to secure for God an unshakable kingdom. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. So the purpose of the shakings, I've already stated it. It's the establishment of an unshakable, and what's implied in that term is permanent. You get that? If it's unshakable, you do everything you can to shake it, and it still stands 
What's implied there is permanence. You look throughout the whole Old Testament, eternal kingdom. What's in Daniel, what's in Isaiah, what's in Jeremiah, what's in almost all the Old Testament prophets, what's in the New Testament is, is God's intent to establish a kingdom unlike any other kingdom. Has there been a kingdom that was there the first day and when God scattered the nations, he set up the kingdom right after the kingdoms after the Tower of Babel. Is there a particular kingdom that has survived till this day? That's a question to the audience here. I want to see it. What do you think? Is there any kingdom on the earth that has survived that whole length of time? How many think that there is? Is there one? A dozen? How many do I got up here? Well, it looks like a number. <laughs> Zero. Why? Because they're all very shakable. Every kingdom, every great kingdom, one that boasted the Reich of a thousand years. I just was watching some stuff on TV about wars. They were boasting. There's, I'm, this is going to be the third Reich, the Reich of a thousand years. It lasted about 20 But God intends to establish an unshakable kingdom, one that will never pass away. So it uses all these words, okay? There are so many verses on the kingdom. I, 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 I wish you were with me for two weeks. I would tell you some of the verses. Let's go to one in particular. This is one of my favorite. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15, if you would take, go there, please. Because there's something about this kingdom that I think in those verses it's highlighted exactly. Well, I shouldn't say exactly. It, it, it's, it's hard to pin this thing down. But there's some words that are used there that I think will transfer into what we're going to talk about the rest of the evening. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. We'll read a few. Then it talk, it's talking about the end. It says, then the end when he hands over the kingdom to his God and Father. What has he done? He the Son. He has abolished all rule and all authority and all power. I can tell you that those, not only the earthly kingdoms, but the heavenly realm too. Nobody's one of abdicating their power, right? That's what the whole book of Revelation is about, is they're saying they're... they're the audacity of those people is that they raise up an army to fight the one that's coming. I'm thinking, you've lost it. I, I, I don't know how you could ever do that. He's abolished all rule and authority and power. It was necessary for him to reign. That's a wonderful word. We're going to highlight that word tonight. Necessary. It was necessary for him to reign until he put all his enemies under his feet. There's so many passages that talk about that. What is the kingdom? The kingdom is aligning everything under the feet of the Son. That everything comes into proper relationship according to design and purpose and aligns with Him so that everything is connected into a universe under one ruler and authority who is God in the flesh, God incarnate, the man Christ Jesus. That's what it's all about. The last enemy that is to be abolished is death. It's one of the highlights of 1 Corinthians 15. And then he goes on to say, well, we've got to make an exception. But when it says all things 
are subjected, it's clear that the one who subjected all things to the Son, he's not included. That's the Father. There's a subordination in the economy of God as he works out his eternal purpose. But whenever all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him for what reason? In order that, I love these words, in order that God may be all in all. The pantheist stole that from us. That's our Bible. Now, whatever that means, and I can't tell you what that means, but I think it's going to be absolutely wonderful. That kingdom that is coming is, is a, a realm, a sphere, a place, all these different things where God is all in all. So let that kind of impress on you there for a minute. All I know, I don't understand it. I, I know it is mind-blowing. I do not. I think it's going to be wonderful. I think going back to now these verses in the end of Hebrews chapter 12, they reveal one of the primary means for God to accomplish that end. How he brings about subjecting things under the feet of the Son. How he brings about a realm that he's all in all. He does it by shaking. Isn't that something? It's not just a physical shaking. It is that. When you were there, when those people were there, I wish you could... Uh, this is where uh, sanctified imagination helps a lot. Think about being there on that mountain when God came down. Moses, so familiar with God, said, I, I fear and I'm trembling excessively. I can't even help myself. This is This is fearful. This is awesome. The God of the universe now coming down upon this earth. Wow. So the means that God uses to bring about this unshakable and permanent kingdom is shaking. And this is where I'm going to come back to that word necessary. You know, there's a lot of things. I've been reading some, a lot of different things as I do. I read a lot. I'm retired, so I get to read a lot. I really like to read a lot. And uh, one of the things I've been reading about a lot is that uh, if God can do, could do anything any way, other way, he would have. If we could have been saved other than by a death on the cross of the Son of God, what, what did the Lord Jesus pray in the garden? God, if there's another way, Lord... Father, if there's another way, but I'm praying not my will, but thine be done. If there was another way to do this, another way to bring about this intended end. Remember, God's got an intended end, a kingdom wherein he's all in all. That's his end. That's the goal. That is the goal of everything. If he could do it another way other than shaking, he would. I, I, I believe that. I believe, don't you? I, I believe we all believe that God is full of loving kindness and goodness and mercy and grace. He's also just and holy and righteous. And we could, we could keep adding to that. And he's wise and he's powerful. And so if there was another way to do this, then he would do that. And so the fact is, 
There isn't another way. This is necessary. In fact, in this book, it keeps saying that again and again. So what these verses reveal, at least what I'm getting out of them, and I'm going to apply it to the Hebrews and apply it to us tonight, is that the, there's a principle and a purpose <clears throat> to this shaking, which is to make manifest that which is shake, shakeable. Look again what the verse says. So that verse 27 indicates the removal of what is shaken. God just doesn't want to expose what is shakeable. He intends to remove it. You see what I'm saying there? It's like you, you shake something up and something comes to the surface. Well, you don't do that just to have it come to the surface and say, wow, that was pretty cool, and then go on shaking again. No, you, you shake it up so something can surface so that you can remove it, get it out of there so that what remains is unshakable. That's the mechanics of this thing. So applying the, this principle and this goal to the Hebrews, I personally believe, I think there's a few hints in there. I don't have the time to go through what I think are hints, but I think that the author believes that there would be a soon coming shaken, shaking of that old covenant, that priesthood, those sacrifices, and that actually happened in A.D. 70. And God shook the nation of Israel, and it's never recovered. Never recovered. The sacrifices are gone. The temple is gone. The priesthood is inoperative. God shook it. Now, there's a point in this. Look at verse 27 again. He says, now the phrase, yet one more time, once for all, indicates the removal of what is shaken. And then he says, namely, what I'm talking about, it are things that have been created. It's an interesting phrase. Things that have been created or made. Some of the translations say made. A.T. Robertson, great uh, teacher of word studies, great uh, scholar, said this states that these things are made by God, but made to pass away. What's said again and again in this book, let me ask you this. Was the temple design Moses? Did Moses come up with that design? No, he was forcefully told, I want you to build this tabernacle, in this case, excuse me, I meant said temple, I meant tabernacle. I want you to build it exactly according to my design. How about the priesthood? How about the offerings? We could have all kinds of different offerings. No, there were just a few. All of this was created by God but the book of Hebrews and the rest of the Old Testament reveals that it was purposely made as a temporary thing. It was going to pass away. And the means of getting it to pass away was a shaking. 
That's what happened to those believers, those Hebrew believers. And I think that God mercifully was preparing them through this letter without revealing the fact that he was going to do it, that they hopefully would listen to the one that was speaking to them and would be ready so when that shaking took place, they would not be shaken. You see what I'm saying there? How about us? If everything is to be shaken, how about us? Do, do, are we afforded an escape? So when I was thinking about this, I've been thinking again to myself and having a lot of discussions, quite a few discussions. I, I get to walk about three, four, five days a week. I go for a nice long walk, 30 to 40 minutes. And uh, generally, it's by myself on Saturdays. My dear wife walks with me, and, and then I don't do what I normally do, which is pray, and I pray. And I have conversations with God. That's one of my lovely prayer times. That's my closet. I have a wide-open closet. And this, these are the thoughts. I said here, let us be brutally honest and frank with ourselves. If the purpose of God is a kingdom in which he is all in all, the fact is that is not our current state. Are you with me on that? Is God all in all in your life? Is everything in your life, you can ask me the same question. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not picking on you. You can respond to me. Is everything in our lives under the feet of the Son? No. No. It's not in mine. I, I know that. You know, one of the verses, there's so many favorite verses I've now gotten again out of Hebrews, and two of them are in chapter, 14, uh, chapter 4. The Word of God is living and operative, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing soul and spirit, Joints and marrows, a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. But the next verse, I always disconnected the next verse from that verse. And the next verse says, There is nothing, nothing that is not naked and laid bare to the eyes of him to whom we will give an account. And, and what's been becoming so conscious to me more than it ever has been is that I tell the Lord, God, I am aware of the fact that there is nothing hidden. Why would I ever attempt to hide anything? Why? Lord, please work in me to such a degree that I don't want to hide anything from you. It's not, it's not hidden. There's no successful hiding from God, right? Not one thing. He knows our thoughts. He knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. He can see them. They're naked. They're bare. It's a good, it's a good thing I'm clothed up here, but naked and bare is a whole other thing. The principle of shaking is this, and I apply it to us. 
Dear brothers and sisters, I, I am convinced, I've become unshakably convinced <laughs> that God is engaged in every single thing in our lives. No exceptions. Everything. There's no mistakes. God's, it's not like God's not in control for a little bit that you're a free radical somewhere, or someone hit you, some free radical hit you, or something happened in your life that God was caught unaware about or something like that. No. It's not only that he's not only just aware of it, he is somehow in a way that's beyond comprehension, he's engaged. And I believe that he takes every single thing that happens in our life, and just like it says in Romans, he uses it to shake what needs to be shaken so that it can be removed and what can remain is that which is unshakable. And that's the mechanics that are going on. And I know I'm not, I, I don't, I can't be, this is, I know that's very philosophical, but you can't be light about it because some of this stuff is extremely hard. It's extremely hard. I'm, I'm, planning a little trip down to California. I've got a friend that I was actually an elder with in one of the first churches I was in. Um, dear brother, we've not, we, he's gone off his separate way. He has bone marrow cancer and stage five kidney failure. He's dying. It's over. I'm going to go down to see him. He's been a lonely guy. He told me on the phone. We were talking and praying. It was just so heartbreaking. But it's a shaking. And God is mercifully 